Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and serious mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is coming to us all the way from Australia. This is amazing what we can do on Zoom nowadays. Renee Knapp is a vice principal at a high school, or she would call it a deputy principal at her district high school, where she lives in southwest of Western Australia. And on top of that, she's an independent consultant with Think Effective Consultancy, where she works with schools, communities, and passionate individuals to improve mental health and well-being outcomes through proven process and framework for change. She is the chair and co-founder of a community-based mental health action team, and she's an ambassador for the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. What I love about her approach is that Renee is a big picture person. Instead of just seeing an individual behavior when a kid comes into her office, probably because they just got in trouble in class or whatever, she examines the whole life of the teen, school, family, environment, healthcare, law enforcement interaction, religious involvement, sports, and more. Renee has created a framework where the schools and community organizations and families can work together to create better mental health for our kids. And isn't that what we all are looking for? Better mental health for all of us, right? Well, welcome to Safe Home, Renee. So glad you're here to talk to me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be chatting to you. Yeah, thank you. Well, I am not a big picture person. I'm a very small, detail-oriented person. So I really am amazed at how people's brains work. So <laughs> I'm really impressed with the work you're doing and just kind of looking at the broader picture because kids are only at school for a couple of hours a day and then the whole rest of the day and the weekends, they're in the community, they're in the families, they're at home. So ah, it's important work that you're doing. Thank so you. how did you get interested in mental health in the first place? Was there a personal connection or just through working with your students at school? Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, I guess it's been a bit of a journey for me. I'd had my own journey with mental health and I'm surrounded by an incredible family, amazing husband, and I've got three boys, very supportive environment where typically you wouldn't think I should have mental health issues, but I think they'd really sat there for a long time. And Mm -hmm. I went through my own process of discovering that I had depression and figuring all of that out. And at the same time, one of my children was struggling with his mental health. I had really had issues right from early on and um, through very much early on through behaviours. But by the time he was 12, I was heavily embedded with what he was going through and, and a lot of early suicidal ideation and mm. and all that sort of stuff. And I guess what happened for me is because I'd not too, you know, soon before I had been through my journey and I'm fairly mm. vocal about what I go through and I sort of talk to my kids about everything, I was able to use what I'd learnt to walk alongside him. And when that happened, at a similar time, I was at a process at school and I'd become really passionate that we needed to start having mental health processes in school. But being in a small school setting, I was very aware that to ask our teachers to take on another committee, they were just at burnout point and Uh that was just never going to happen. So I met with a couple of interested people in town, one of our local doctors and a couple of other people I knew. And at the time they were talking about some mental health stuff, but I actually went and approached, I'd 
become aware of a program called Mind Matters and Kids Matters at the time. It's now changed in Australia and is known as the BU National Initiative. But at the time when it was Mind Matters, I'd... I guess, sorry, I've probably got to start. There was a lot going on at the time. And I'd be, <laughs> I was a chair at the time for a behaviour program at school. And what I realised is that being at a small school and, and being in a rural setting, I didn't want to make a change happen with behaviour and mental health and just have it come and go, have it there for a year, disappears, mm-hmm. nothing ever changes. And mm-hmm. so as I started exploring mental health options for a school, I discovered this Mind Matters approach, but I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if instead of just looking at the school setting, we were able to look beyond the school walls? Because as you highlighted at the start, so much goes on for our kids that happens outside of the school walls. And I guess as a deputy, what I discovered in my role with students is that we would often get stuck. You know, we could do lots of things, but a lot of what was happening for them, particularly high school kids, was out in their community. It was family-based. They weren't able to access support. They'd been involved with the law enforcement, whatever it might be. So I approached Mind Matters and I sort of said to them, look, I'd like to develop this process for a community approach and actually look at how we can work to improve mental health, but do it in a community setting. And at the time, they were really excited about that and they were interested to see it evolve because nothing like this had happened. And so what basically happened is I got these interested group of people together. It was only four of us at the time. But what was really significant was that the doctor was involved. And never before in my career have I as an educator been able to work alongside health professionals. You know, we refer kids off, Mm -hmm. we do that sort of stuff, but we never get to actually talk to doctors and say, look, it'd be great if you could, when you see kids, you know, you're aware of this and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, set this team up and... Basically, at the time, I founded what we now call affectionately our Community Mental Health Action Team or COMHAT. And <laughs> what, what has developed is as I've evolved this process, and we're now at a point where we've now got four or five paid people that are working. I'm rolling this model out to different places across Western Australia and, in my opinion, the uh, country and the world because I just think it has been groundbreaking what's developed because, as I said, what's really happened is a process that's engaged our sporting clubs, the law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what that's meant is that we're getting to make change happen for our kids in mental health that they wouldn't normally be able to access, you know. So that's kind of where I came from from with it. But I was then able to take that back to the school and really look at, well, if we're looking at this multi-pronged approach in a community, this is what we need in a school setting. So I used that to develop a student engagement plan because what we were finding is that kids would come in with behaviour issues and there was so much more to consider, you know, so much more going on. So yeah, I really think, like I said, that's a long-winded explanation of where it came from, but there's been so many different things going on. And I guess what I did was try to pull it all together and figure out where to go. Yeah, that's that's where you are key. You're sort of synergizing all of this together. And those behaviors that are so annoying or frustrating or 
intractable sometimes. That's usually just the tip of the iceberg, is it not? Oh, absolutely. The behavior that pokes itself up. There's a, usually a bunch of stuff underneath there. That So the behavior isn't really the problem. No. I, I, it feels like a problem when you're a teacher and there's behavior happening. But the problem usually is much deeper and much harder to fix, yeah? Oh, absolutely. And I think that that is actually the key, and I think that's what's coming out through schools. So with the work that I do with schools, initially a lot of schools wanted support looking at their behaviour programs. But what I have really tried to move schools towards thinking is that because there was a a big push in Western Australia, um, we had a lot of um, money go towards mental health programs. But what really Mm -hmm. happened was that schools didn't know what to do with it. They knew that they needed to improve mental health, but they didn't know, one, how to link that to behaviour and how to uh, make those changes happen. So what I've basically been involved with and what I try to help schools do is that Behaviour is often sat separately, very separately to mental health. But without a doubt, as you've pointed out, they do not exist separately. Behaviour is often the the first sign that something's going on. And Mm -hmm. while it's not always directly linked to mental health, there can be lots of other reasons going on. I think what's really important is that we have to approach it and go, what's actually going on? And I think people sometimes get caught up with that that's an excuse for not dealing with behaviour. And I think in no way possible is it that behaviour doesn't have consequences and things. But what has to happen is when we see a behaviour going on, so the process I tend to follow is that when we see a behaviour going on, we go, okay, let's identify what's going on for the kids in terms of what we're seeing, but let's also find out academically what's happening for them. Let's find out, are they accessing at the moment any mental health services? Are they currently having any engagement with law enforcement? What is their, and this is key for me, is what is their sense of belonging and connection? Are they engaged with any Mm. uh, local sporting groups? Are they very isolated? What might it be that's going on? Because once we can take all of that, we can then find something that's actually going to be beneficial because I think the problem with purely looking at behaviour is that sometimes we might address one part of it, but it will just come back because the other things haven't been addressed. Right. And I think I think the thing for schools is that they know, I think they're getting to a point of realising that this needs to happen, but they just don't know where to start and how to do it. Yeah. And I think that's what I've tried to do is to, as I've gone both in my journey with schools and with communities, I've documented from start to finish, how do you actually bring people together? How do you make sure that the cha- the chaplain at school or the psychologist at school or the admin at school or the teachers at school are all part of the process and the student mm-hmm. and the family, um, mm-hmm. first and foremost, I should say? How do we make sure that all happens so that schools don't get caught up in the logistics of it? Because that's where I think it falls apart. So. Yeah, you want to remove any obstacles that you possibly can. So when there's a kid presenting with a serious issue or something that could potentially become serious, you want to get that acted on as soon as possible, right? So you have found ways to clear the way ahead ahead of that. What are some of the common mental health deficits or problems you're seeing at your school? What are kids coming to you? Look, I think they're at a peak at the moment. I was literally Mm -hmm. um, talking to our school psychologist only a day ago and, you know, she's at breaking point, you know, the the, the system's at breaking point trying to support mental health. I think very much the issues that come about are 
I think in primary school there's a there's a clear indication of anxiety, but I think mm-hmm. the thing is that that um, quickly in in a high school setting can lead more around depression. And I don't claim to be a psychologist. I think it's really important Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that I have a very key intervention role, prevention Mm -hmm. role, all these sorts of things, but it's not, you know, I I just want to make that clear that I'm not not technically a counsellor. I've done lots of mental health training and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think what's clear as an educator who sits and sees a lot of what is going on, I think that and I, I hate to fly this banner because it comes up a lot, but I think that social media and internet has clearly had a role to play. I think that yes. um, educating, and this this crosses over into my community setting, what we've found is that in a rural setting, access to services is really difficult. And so mm. problems that have started early and could have been addressed often get to a much more serious point where we have to look at suicidal issues and and things yes. and and parent it's really hard to hear that your child's having thoughts around suicide and i mean it's just devastating and i think that it's important that and this is where i think the community side of things comes in is that we've got to be able to have like the, the poor mental health system is really working as hard as they can, their little duck feet are going and they're trying to do everything they can. But one of the things that we've done in our community setting is we've built up the training of youth mental health first aid amongst anybody who wants to get access to that. So we identified that one of the issues was people knew to ask, are you okay? But had no idea what to do after that conversation. Yeah. yeah. What do they? What do you do if they say, no, I'm really not okay? Which is a common thing, you know, and I think when we've, um, looked at and I certainly because obviously with my community role we've looked at youth but we've also looked beyond and certainly with the guys in our community they're like okay here's a beer you know (laughs) once someone says they're not okay so I, I think that part of our role is to empower our young kids to know how to support their friends and how to you know stepping over the line and actually saying I'm struggling whether you know whether it's a kid talking to their mum whether it's a kid talking to their friend, whether it's an adult talking to anyone, it's really hard. I know that when I first sought help for depression, it took me four goes and I'm the most outspoken Mm -hmm. person, you know, Mm -hmm. like I often get told that I need to have lollies at staff meetings to keep me a little bit quiet. (laughs) But it's it's really hard to admit that you're struggling. And I think we find that as adults. And so our kids, even the ones that are the closest to their parents, it's it's that idea of admitting that they can't figure this problem out on them. And, mm-hmm. and, a, and so I think that this whole idea of this wraparound approach is essential because I think programs are amazing. But if all we're mm-hmm. applying at a school is a social emotional program, which is a wonderful piece of the puzzle, but if that's mm-hmm. all we're doing or all we're doing is offering counselling, say, then we've missed this wealth of things mm-hmm. that we need to do. So I think that. We've got to get our schools better. We've got to get our communities better at being able to have this approach. But I think the issue comes, and this is where I step in, is that it's how to negotiate that idea of having Mm -hmm. that support. So in a school setting, I really advocate for a culture of well-being because while Mm -hmm. you can have a program to support a kid or an intervention when they're suicidal or a Mm -hmm. support process when their behaviour is not good, 
if we don't have a process that addresses how the teachers are talking about respectfulness and resilience and those Mm -hmm. sorts of, you know, the language that's involved. And if we don't have a process for how a kid gets from a behavioural issue to the student services point, um, if we don't have a plan for how we communicate education to our parents and our Mm -hmm. school community, then I just think we only get a little tip of the iceberg and we never get to make a dent on these horrific mental health statistics, you know, and start saving people's lives sort of thing. Yeah. Well, our experience at Joey's high school, the school nurse was instrumental in getting him the help he needed. So he had tried to kill himself the night before. He went to school and told his friend, who I'm ever grateful for, for hauling him to the school nurse. So that piece of it worked really well. She called, sent him to the ER right away, and we went from there. Then after Joey got released from the psych hospital, it was probably two or three weeks later, I went back to that school and said, listen, your teachers and your students are toxic to my son. He tried to kill himself partly because of all the bullying he's received from everybody at your school. Well, he was not too amenable to that. He did not really want to hear that at all. And he, in fact, blamed my son for not having a thick enough skin. That's heartbreaking. So it was horrible. And it's just indicative of that kind of just buck up. You can do it. Just whatever. Don't let it roll off your back. Well, it, it didn't roll off his back so much so that he tried to kill himself. Can we wake up to this a little bit, please? I don't think he will ever change. But I did go up to the superintendent's office. And talked to someone and he said he incorporated some new whatever, blah, 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 programs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it does seem like you're kind of reliant on these, mm, the leadership, their attitude toward mental health. And if they aren't keyed into how critically important it is, it's kind of tricky to navigate, yeah? Oh, do, do you know, I think that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yes. It's because I think that there are lots of very well-meaning people like the school nurse that you were lucky enough mm-hmm. to have. Mm-hmm. And I think schools are at one of two places. I think, you know, I, and I do feel for our educators because they came for the majority of teachers and educators They've had zero mental health training. They're getting it now, but they didn't come through university with that. And that's a challenge of the education system. But I think some schools are open and not afraid to say that sometimes we don't do things perfectly and they're they're wanting Mm -hmm. to move and they're wanting to change. And some schools are just purely on Mm -hmm. the defence. And sadly, that's really detrimental if your child comes up against that. And look, I very much tell people that you're never going to find a perfect school. There are going to be things that go wrong. But what you need from a school is you need good communication. You need to be heard when you're, when, when you've got a concern and you're the only advocate for your child as a parent. And granted, sometimes as parents, we get passionate and we might get, but, but that's understandable. And what's important is that a school hears what's going on and works towards improving it. It might not be perfect now, but I think the problem exists that the schools sometimes don't know what those steps are. And so sometimes, and I think, look, I think there's, there's many schools getting better at this, but I think sometimes, unfortunately, they want to appear to be doing the right things, but really they're just putting a Band-Aid on and not really addressing yeah. the issues. And so that's, I guess, why I've become very passionate about getting 
this process out is that I just want to see it done better. I think our educators as an educator can be amazing, but I think that schools need guidance to be able to make this process happen. Yeah. It's it's big, you know, dealing with people's mental health. It's like, whew, like you said, teachers didn't go to school for that. They, no. <laughs> they went to school to teach whatever subject area, but you can't teach if their mental health is broken. You know, Absolutely. it's kind of over everything. Then the mental health of the teachers and the administrators too, by the way, right? Oh, well, absolutely. It's not just the students. The teachers have been so stressed out with the COVID and everything. Oh, my God. Oh, no, it's been very stressed out. And I think that you're right that, you know, you've got to have a plan in place because if you don't address those things, then your teaching side of it, it's a little bit like if you don't have good classroom management or good behavior skills, you're never going to get the the curriculum taught. Yeah, So you can be the best teacher in the world, but if you can't, manage the class and be able to teach it. Can you give us an example of what it would look like, a practical piece that could help us visualize this kind of communication between all these different systems? Yeah, absolutely. So the way we've developed ComHat, the the sort of the the model of what I've done is that it's really important to have a lot of people rush like we've had in Australia we've had a lot of bushfire incidences and you know this trickles down to the kids and what they're experiencing you know there's been floods there's I mean look every every country in the world has issues but what's important is really and this is where I think gets missed is that people are very quick to go we're in a crisis, we need to address things, which naturally you've got to rush with things. And this is a little bit like kids' mental health, you know, we're, we're experiencing lots of suicide, something's happened and we need to address this. So mm-hmm. I think what's really important is the, the piece of the puzzle before the actual action. And what that means is that bringing those people together is really key. So in a community setting, before we even get started, it's about approaching the right people. And this is why I include the words in my bio at the start about passionate individuals. I think often the drive comes from someone, possibly people like your listeners, who are passionate about seeing change happen, but not knowing where to start. And then it's about going, okay, I've got this model. Like I said, this is a model I can share with lots of people. And I go, I need to talk to my doctors. I need to talk to my law enforcement, whatever it might be. Now, what we did was we started with just a small group of three or four people, just anyone who's passionate because to jump in and ask and invite people is very tricky. And then what we did was set up, okay, before we could get to any of the issues, we'd identified as four individuals that there was a lack of support services and that there was a real lack of belonging and connection in our community, which affected our youth, which affected our older generation. You know, there was none of that coming together of old that we used to do. But before we could do any of that, we went, we need to all be sitting on the same page and understanding about mental health. So the very first step was to go, okay, what do we believe as four people that mental health Mm -hmm. entails, and we sort of talked about that. But then what we did was to push that awareness out and start to develop a presence in our community. So for probably a good year, we really started getting the conversation around mental health happening and we then talked to the school. So I, as the school representative, went back to the school and went, okay, so what do the students think mental health is? What do Mm. the staff think mental health is? What do the admin think mental health is? What do the parents think mental health is? And what what happened in our setting was this wave of enthusiasm and interest in what we were talking about happened, which actually led us to getting about $25,000 donated to our group to be able to employ someone to then run what we were trying to administer. So to be able to, you know, 
do some more data collection, start investigating support services. The key thing that I hear a lot is that to make change happen in a community, a shy is very critical to that. And often it's where a lot of places get stuck. And it's a little bit like your you go back to your situation in the school. If the admin's not on board, that's where things get stuck. And so if you take this community model and let's say go back to a school setting and think about all the different pieces of the puzzle, if you've got someone passionate in a school, say it's a parent or say it's a teacher, doesn't really matter what it is, or an admin, and they're thinking a little bit like I was, we need change to happen, but how do I make this happen? Yeah. So say, for example, they talk to someone like myself and get this, like I've got a, a checklist that people can use about all the steps from woe to go to what to do, and they take this okay. thing to their people and maybe go, is anyone else interested? Like if it's parents, yeah. it might be anyone else on the parental group. PTA or Yeah, the PTA or something like that. Or if it's a staff member, it might be a few other people or whatever it might be. And we go, okay, what have we currently got going on at our school that's good? Because I think what's really important, and sorry, I tend to I tend to go here, there and everywhere when I'm talking <laughs> about these things, but I think what's really important is bringing people along on the journey. I think sometimes what happens is when things have gone wrong, we come in very upset, understandably, and, and then people get on the defensive, whether it's the school or whether it's the school talking to parents about their child and they get defensive, whichever way it might be. Mm-hmm. So we have to be conscious that mental health is a sensitive topic mm-hmm. and not everyone in that situation is going to come to mental health with the same understanding. Some will have experiences, some will have prejudices and mm-hmm. so everyone will come at a different angle. So it's about yeah. bringing people along on the journey and going, okay, I'm not going to judge where you've come from, but let's get a mm-hmm. let's get a snapshot of where everyone sits in mental health. Yeah. What is it that your understanding is of it? And then let's go, okay, so let's now take some passionate people. All right, our psych- school psychologists and sorry to jump back again, but what's important in a school setting is that it's not just the teachers, the parents and the kids. It's the school officers. It's the yes. council. Because you think about as a parent and a kid, they see the school officer probably more, you know, they are the ones answering the phone. They're the ones sending you to the right person. So they have yeah. to have an understanding of how to, you know, have this language going on and all those sorts of things. So this is why I come back to this idea of a cultural change because mm-hmm. while we can implement one thing, we need to bring those different people. So if we start from that mental health awareness place, we can then start going, all right, we've got this snapshot, got a little bit of data. How can we bring in some key people? So we really have to have someone on that admin. Now, maybe the principal's not not supportive, but maybe one of the deputies is, or maybe one of the, you know, the leader type teachers is, or whatever it might be, because I think you've got to be, I think people have to be aware that you may not always have the right people that you might ideally want. We're not going to have an ideal situation. Right. But if you look at the situation, you might be able to find someone who's got a a similar passion Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So I think that that's really important. So, you know, I think about maybe your listeners and and it might be that they're going, I really want this to happen, but I'm just a a parent. And I say that very lightly, I'm just a parent because it's a massively important thing. (laughs) But what I mean is that they might feel that way, but really everyone has the power to make change happen, but it's knowing how to go through that 
in a, in a school setting, how to intervene without just becoming like the annoying parent who's going, well, you need to do this yeah. and whatever yeah, it might yeah. be. <laughs> I'm sure I, I came across like that. Oh, but it's understandable. But my, my passion was, oh my God, something has to change. I almost lost my son. Oh, exactly. And all I needed him to say was, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. Not sorry, like as apologizing for the school, but I'm so sorry you went through that. That must have been so hard. How oh. can the school support you? What can we do? Or what, you know, exactly, what, what did your son need? Instead, it, he threw it back at me, but maybe he could have thought about putting himself in my shoes for just a moment. That's exactly like, right. You're come on. Your statement is exactly right. And I think that's exactly right. When you're expressing something like that, you don't necessarily need someone to have the answer right there. And then you just want them to oh. acknowledge, wow, that is, yeah. you know, that's really difficult what you've been through. We need to sit down and figure something out around this. As yeah. would it be that if a kid came to their parents or someone and said, I'm not coping and, and you know, instead of us trying to fix it, which we tend to right. want to do, yes. we'd be able to go, you know what, this must be really hard for you. Let's figure it out together and I'm going to yes. walk beside you. And I think yeah. that that's exactly right, Beth, and that's the model you want. Schools mm -hmm. don't have to have it perfect because, but no. when they get defensive, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. But if schools yeah. just need, you know, and it, I think people like you are exactly the person that, for me, that I'm looking to work with because yeah. when someone's passionate, that passion can be turned into something productive. And I think yeah. often people think I'm passionate, but I don't have any knowledge or experience, but I think that's the starting point. There's lots of other people oh, that can bring that knowledge and assistance in, right. but it's the passion that drives the change. Oh, if that, if that vice principal would have said, help us create something, I would have been so on board, totally especially different. at that moment in time. I was ready to throw everything mm. out of my life except for whatever I can do to help my kid. I would have started a parent committee. I would have volunteered. I I would have done anything, but I didn't know what to do. I would have had a parent for life. Like. <laughs> yes, he missed out. I'm telling you. Very much so. <laughs> but man, if, if you can find those key people in each of those sectors, put their heads together and... I'm sure it's different for every locality, right? You oh, can't just say, so. do this and this and this and this. It depends on what's happening in each particular town or district, right? Well, I think you're right. I think very much every setting is different. But what I think is that instead of having a program to follow, if you have mm -hmm. a framework of change to follow that ah. says, you know, if step one, this is how you develop your team. Step two, this is how you collect data. I mean, I used to freak out here and collect data, but it's actually more productive than that. This is how you start to make initial changes happen. Then that model can be the same in every school and every setting, whether it's in WA in Australia or in America or in Iceland or wherever it might be. Uh -huh. But what, what the difference is, is that you can then put in the things that are relevant to your group. Say, for example, in your setting, these are the issues. This is the problem. You know, these are the people we've got on board, blah, 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 blah. That can work uh -huh. within that framework model. But what it also allows people to do is that in the one school, while right now the issue might be kids having suicidal ideations or whatever it might be, but then a year or two later we might have a bushfire and 
Okay, yeah. but this this framework should still work with supporting people through that process. Oh, okay. Or while right now we've got an issue around kids having respect and that's becoming an issue and things like that. Mm-hmm. A couple of years later, okay, we're having an issue around we, what we we discovered one recently with behaviour around homework. And the problem wasn't homework. The problem was that parents didn't understand how to support their child with the things that happen when you're in a high school in terms of studying. The kids didn't have the skills. The teachers were not using consistent language. And this was having an effect on all sorts of things, ripple effect and mental health and blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. But but what Mm -hmm. it means is that instead of having a program that you implement and it changes, which will come and go, you have a framework and then you can bring in. So say, for example, right now we're really worried about the resilience of our kids. They're not coping when things go wrong. Um, We've really noticed a pattern. So, okay, great. We don't have to be the experts. We as teachers need to be able to teach lessons around that and intervene and refer kids to the services. But we're going to bring in a, this program, this great resilience program at the moment, which, as I said earlier, is one piece of the puzzle that comes mm-hmm. in. It's wrapped around by student services. It's wrapped around by the language the school is using. It's wrapped around by everything else. But then, okay, we've done a really good job of addressing that. Let's move on to this. But you don't have to rejig the whole system. Uh-huh. You've got that backbone. And you modify it slightly to tweak what's going on and what the needs are of the kids in the school. Very good. I think that's amazing. That sounds like a really smart way to do it. (laughs) In your school, in your area, is suicide, are, are kids killing themselves? Are they having a lot of suicidal ideation? How big of a problem is that right now? I've got a presentation I did recently and I actually put some of those statistics up. And just recently, suicide this is Beyond Blue. There's an association called Beyond Blue, which is one of our big uh, mental health associations. And they said that suicide is still currently the leading cause of death in young Australians. You know, it's just quite horrific. And when you actually show staff some of the statistics, it's, you know, it's just, and I think COVID's increased the, the, you know, without a doubt. Yeah, made everything worse. But I think there's a really scary time that at, while that, while kids are at school and things go wrong at school, but there's this watchful eye, there's these teachers, the parents, but that 16 to 25-year-old gap where kids might not have anyone, like they might have parents monitoring them, but suddenly it's one prong instead of many prongs uh, yeah. or they might not have anyone, you know, and, and I mean I think there's other ages as well, but just talking about youth at the moment, I think that's a really delicate sensitive age because those support systems aren't naturally there you know we have a a, something called cams in wa which is child and mental health adolescent services and if a child's really at the peak of issues that we refer them on to there and i know that there's been a a drive to try and have something similar in an adult model because Mm. i think what we've addressed in a community setting is that as a society in general we're really good at the low level mental health We're really good at, well, we've got a a system. We're good when someone reaches crisis, but it's the lead up to crisis that's Uh, so critical because we don't want kids to get to crisis. We don't want people to get to the point where they're, well, like your son was and, you know, we want to be able to intervene before that. And so I think that that's very much where the work is occurring in Australia is trying to figure out, and, and that's where I think I sit 
Someone asked me the other day with my Australian New Zealand Mental Health Association role, they wanted me to write an article about how to support mental health peer workers and the mental health professionals. And I said to the person, I said, I would love to write an article, but I don't think I'm the right person to write that one because my role is to bring those people together and oh, to, yeah. but, but we've got to respect that every zone, every sector brings a wealth of strengths. You know, I think that mm-hmm. if we as educators were to say, we know everything about the mental health profession and we mm. know, I mean, that's just, it's disrespectful to what every piece of the puzzle brings. But what's interesting, um, certainly in my role as the community mental health person, we had an incident. So we have a, a board that sits of about six people where we look at the big picture and then we've written a community wellbeing plan and we then have an action team that includes any group that wants to be part of it. So our local cops are on that, our primary health alliance out from like people from up in Perth, our drug and alcohol education people from Perth have come. We've got sporting groups, la, 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 la. And we had a meeting one time and we always sit because I facilitate the meetings and we go around and first of all, identify what's going on for the groups and how we can support that. And then we talk about things that we're pushing through the plan and how they can support driving those initiatives. And One of our sergeants at the time, a previous sergeant that we'd had, said, do you know what, we're currently just 80% of our job at the moment is mental health. And they said, and we're not trained in that. We're we're law enforcement and we're there to support that side of things, but we're really struggling and we just don't know what to do. We're we're finding a lot of people that are suicidal. And so one of our other people on the team was a suicide and education prevention officer from our local Southwest region. And we said, right, We're going to get you in contact with her because there is lots of things we could do because one of the issues he was having is that they can have a team where the police can access a a group like a support network and they come out and be there when they do it. Yeah, Being in Boyoutbrook, a few hours away from these services, it never works. So we went, right, how can we problem solve this and make something happen so that our fantastic sergeant who's addressed an issue can start to get some results because I think you know what we were finding and I think this applies to schools and communities is that I got interviewed on a radio and asked there was a huge influx of money that was coming in from our government which was wonderful for mental Mm -hmm. health and they said you know what should be happening and I said you know what it's the government's role to provide that money but it's Mm -hmm. our role on the ground to figure out how to utilise that to make change happen in mental health. And so I think that by having this framework for change, you can actually write plans up. So I alluded to the fact that we had a um, community wellbeing plan. Well, I've done the same in a school setting and written this culture wellbeing plan because once you've got a plan, you can then go, Mm -hmm. right, let's get some funding. So we just recently got over $200,000 funding for our community to make purely focused on youth. So purely focused on what we could do for youth in the mental health area. And that was because we'd come together in a proactive way. We'd written a plan that had engaged the different groups and then we'd been able to take that to the funding, to grant opportunities. So same with a school setting, you have that structure and you have that cohesive team and action, you can start looking at getting some true support happening for the kids. So you can use that money for more school psychologists or more counsellors? So what this is, this money specifically is addressing, so we're providing a youth officer, we're able to provide a 
a dedicated time and have a youth zone so that kids from the school. So we prov- we then go to the school because of my link and go, right, we want to run that youth zone so that you- the kids mm-hmm. can come. So we're getting the kids from the school to come and paint and be part of the process. After and- school program kind of thing. So it uh, creates this beautiful relationship between yes. the the school and the things that are being offered. So we're currently offering youth Zumba, which even though that sounds nice. crazy, it's part of our belonging and connection program. But the school have offered their hall so we don't have to pay for it, which is sure. this lovely relationship that we have going yeah. on with the school that allows us to provide belonging and connection opportunities for the kids. So, yeah, And that's so important, that belonging and connection piece, that is the cure. It absolutely is. You know, I think it's a cure for so many things and it looks different for everyone. I use the example of my husband, who's very shy, would think of nothing worse than talking to someone on a podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. But he needs belonging and connection the same as I do. Mm. But mine looks very different. I need to see people. I need that. I need that connection with people. He doesn't need that, but he still needs belonging and connection. And it looks like this or, you know, and I think of kids at school and we've had some kids that have had serious gaming addictions. Oh, yeah, that's a big problem. When you actually picked it apart and you work with a school psychologist, you work with the parents and you work with a student and you work with all the different people in the prong all these different areas, what came out was that it wasn't a homework issue. It wasn't a gaming issue. It was the fact that he wanted to belong. Belonging. And he got that belonging through his gaming. For sure. Yeah. Anything you're addicted to, you're looking for something to fill a need, right? Absolutely. It's like a coping skill. So these kids are getting communication with their friends. They're having fun. They're succeeding or not with the game, but just that community, that togetherness and shared interests and things like that. And unfortunately, then you get the sexual predators coming in there and helping oh, well, them see, out. I'm so, I'm so glad. I'm not glad you said that about sexual predators. But what I, what I think it highlights is that, say, your culture of well-being, you can't have just behaviour and mental health. You've got to think about what's the education for the kids around protective behaviours and yeah. that side of things. What's the education for the kids around, and not just education, but what's the education for the parents uh what's the like the if you take digital safety what's the school yeah. got in place that educates parents and kids yes. what's the school got in place that addresses internet usage and phone usage at school and things like that yes. you know we've just had a big thing in WA schools that you know kids can't have devices at school and things like that oh really so you took them out of your schools completely yeah <gasps> god i wish we would do that they're allowed to have them until they reach at school but they can't be can't be accessed at all. But what's significant is that like our school has pretty strict rules about it because it's not about the kids' use. It's about the teacher's behaviour. It's about whether they consistently, you know, enforce those rules. You know, it's it's whether is everybody saying that needs to be put back. If that's not consistent, and this is what I mean in terms of, you know, if we take behaviour separately, if we take mental health separately, if we take IT separately, if we take health ed separately, we're missing an opportunity because all those things come into play. You know, you talk about addiction and things. Well, that's a huge part of the health curriculum. But if that doesn't link to mental health and behaviour, that that just for me seems crazy. But like I said, like I keep harping on about it, but it's the making of that connection happen is what I think that schools and communities struggle with because we know we want it to happen. But how to make it happen, and that's where I sit, is that how to make that happen because I just think it's critical. I think it's what is missing from the education system and and society and 
communities. So, And you're the key to that, that you have the answer to the how. And how would people get a hold of you if they wanted to talk to you about working with their community or their school? Absolutely. Look, I've got a website. And if you Google um, Think Effective Consultancy, my website's thinkeffective.com.au. Um, I've got a dedicated page. There's a section called Work With Me. And I've got a dedicated page for community approaches and also for school approaches. So depending on okay. where people feel passionately about making change happen, they can see for that. Um, if people want to be more connected, I'm certainly same thing, think effective consultancy on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. But if people want to subscribe and keep up, what I've tried to do, I've been writing a blog that anyone can access for free, both through community and school. And what I'm doing is trying to write everything that's in my head. Uh Uh (laughs) I'm trying to write down step by step so that people can go step one. Oh, this is what. Renee did. Step two, this is what Renee did. So I've written it out. And then what I've done is I've actually created a checklist that matches the way I'm doing the blog. And um, if people wish to, they're welcome to subscribe to my newsletter to keep up to date with those blogs, but they'll actually get a copy of that checklist. And they're welcome to take that. Like you can take it to your schools, show anybody you want. Nice. And I've, I've just recently added a video for both community and the, the school one where I talk through the why you should do it this way, the what mm. what parts are included, um, some key things you can start. So basically if someone wants to do this straight away, they can do it from themselves as a do-it-yourself process, but they can also uh-huh. go, I've got this and I want to take this to my school and show them or I want to take it to some other passionate people and go, just watch this video and or just look at these things. Oh, that could be yeah. something we could do, you know. So that would be where I'd say yeah. to go. Well, all right, you teachers and parents and healthcare providers and therapists and come on board and get on this big picture wagon so we can help our kids. That sounds really powerful. I'd love to help anyone who's passionate about doing it. I'd just love to help make more of this happen and, and see more success. And just to be clear, you can work internationally, right? I can, yes. Yay. Yeah. Good. Okay. And it's all it's all the same stuff you're dealing with, US, Australia, oh, very much wherever. So. And I have an affinity over there because my, my brother's married to a Canadian. So my gorgeous nieces oh. are over in Canada. So I haven't seen them during uh, COVID. It's been torture. Oh, so, that's really hard. So, oh, um, I, and, and I talk to them as well and it's the same everywhere. It's just yeah. looks different sometimes, but it's all the same thing. We're all struggling it's, to try I, and make it change. Yeah, at the root, it's all, it's all the same. The, the pain, the loneliness, mm. the disconnection that gets coped with in all sorts of kind of dysfunctional ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's find a way they figure out a way to deal with their issues. Sometimes it's not very healthy. So, Mm, well, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this wealth of knowledge with us. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have, or anything else you'd like to share? I just wanted to share two resources with parents if sure. they, they don't want to go the big picture, but they're going, my kid's struggling and I'm just listening to this amazing podcast that you're doing. And there's a really great, great website, a great resource that I know of that I recommend to a lot of parents if your kids are struggling with mental health. And it's basically cognitive behavior therapy for kids done in animated YouTube clips, but it's called Goes In. I think her website's gozen.com. Like G-O-Z-E-N? G-O-Z-E-N, yep. And uh-huh. she's very well trained in psychology. Amazing. I used it with my son. I sat next to my son and learned from it myself. 
Okay. It's, I'm and I check that just out. literally told our school psychologist about it yesterday because it, it's a really incredible program. So I would highly recommend that just in case you're, if someone's kid's struggling and you're like, but I need help now, I think it's a really good starting point. The other one, which is an Australian based one, more for high school kids and sort of 12 to 25 year olds, is called Reach Out. I recommend it to my son and I recommend it to teachers and parents. They've got it one spot where there's a forum where kids can go on and talk to other kids that are also struggling, but it's monitored by psychologists. So it's really powerful and you can go on there and go, my kid's struggling with body image. Great. Well, this is some Uh strategies, but a kid can go on and go, I'm struggling with body image. This is what I can do. So if you Google reachout.com.au, so just be aware it's got the uh, .au for Australia, but anyone can access that. And I just have found that to be really useful. Great. I'll put those links in the, in the show notes. And also it dawned on me to make sure everybody knew about in the US, the new 988 number. Have you heard of this yet? No, I haven't. Okay. So everybody knows 911. And in the past, when you're feeling suicidal or have a mental health crisis, you call 911. Well, who comes to that? People with guns. Not good. My son, for example, had dreamed of having suicide by cop, which is when you go after a cop's gun and then they kill you. So he thought that sounded like a really good idea at one point. So it's terrifying Mm. to me to, to call on the police when there's a mental health issue. Well, it's a national program. Instead of 911 for mental health, you call 988. And then you get social worker, therapist, mental health provider, and they will send out the appropriate team. But unless there's somebody like in imminent danger, there's going to be no one with a gun nearby. And they will direct you to resources and help you in that more specific way that we need help. So I think that's a really big step. Yeah, it's really interesting because just a week ago in our news, I just saw that they're looking to introduce the same thing in Australia. Oh, very good. So that's that's amazing. So and and I've seen that same issue happen. We had a, a beautiful friend of mine, one of her kids was really struggling and just was in crisis, absolute crisis. And the only option at the time was to ring triple zero, which is our number here. And she had to be taken to the hospital in a paddy wagon, which is a like just horrendous. And the the cops didn't want to do that, but they had zero options. And she was actually concerned for her safety. And I just think the, the detriment to the mental health, you know, that you've got to get them so far up in crisis before they get to come back down, you know. Yes. Yeah. So there's hope there. I know there's lots of people working on these kinds of issues and hopefully if we all put our heads together, we can help make it a little bit easier for everybody. Couldn't agree more. Well, this is important work and thank you very much for sharing. I'm so glad to get to know somebody in Australia. Yeah. That's so cool. (laughs) And um, thank you for being on board with Safe Home and really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And listeners, make sure to go find Renee's information. I'll put the links in the show notes. And also while you're at it, go find Safe Home Podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all the places. We have a Patreon account if you'd like to donate a small amount every month to help us maintain this commercial-free podcast. Go to patreon.com slash safehome. I want to give a big, huge thank you to three new Patreon members this week, Wendy Bancroft, Rachel Shutterly, and Kim Wistos Loudermilk. I'm so glad you three hopped on board. Thank you so much for your support. 
Thank you very much for listening. Please share this episode with someone you know that might work at a school or might be a community member that might want to be engaged in this kind of big picture work and have them listen to this wonderful episode. Well, Renee and I want you all to stay stay safe. safe.